0: I'm, we're still going to keep asking you to slide in. If you actually just slide to your right, my left, it'll just help because we can get everybody in from the other direction. And I guess that gets me started. Um, last weekend, we had uh, about 500 people more than we would normally have because, you know, we had 2,400 more at Christmas Eve than we had the year be- the, the year before. So you expect that to happen. Here's the weird thing about last weekend. Everybody came to the 11 o'clock service. All the other services were even. And 500 extra people came at 11. So last week we had people in the overflow, we had people in the cafe. I'm guessing that we probably are doing that again today. We ran out of parking last week, people drove in, they drove out again. So uh, can I just say again, if you have the opportunity, I know some of you are working at the 9 or whatever. I know there's a lot of different things, but if you can get out of the 11 o'clock service, you will do a cannonball with your butt. You'll be able to help somebody find a way to get in here. I don't know why 11 o'clock is the magic hour, but it really is. I made my daughter come last night. You know, she's 19. She wants to sleep in and come on Sunday. I made her come last night. I mean, I really want to encourage you. If you've got a small group, get your small group together and say, hey, let's go. Uh, and here's the order. There's the most room is at 545 on Sunday night, na- on Saturday night and then at the 4 o'clock on on Saturday night, and the 9 o'clock still has a little bit of room in it. We're just trying to figure out how to keep growing, how to keep reaching more people, more Matthews. That's what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, So I really want to encourage you, if you can get out of this service, and I know some people did, so we've got a little bit of room today, but don't think, don't look around and go, oh, we don't need to do this, because there's going to be 500 more people that are going to show up, and they all come through here, okay? Uh, The other thing is that... the Lockport campus is getting ready to launch their Saturday night service because they're out of room too. So that's really awesome on, uh, on February 11th. And I just I want to let you know this. If you come uh, February 11th, we're going to move the 4 o'clock service up 15 minutes. Because of technical things, because we take the signal from here, we take the, the recording from here over there, and we need a little more time to get them uh, up to speed on the 5 o'clock service over there, so we're going to go 345 and 545 on Saturday night, starting February 11th. Nobody ever comes on time anyway, so it probably doesn't matter, but that's what time we actually say we're going to start, okay? Uh, The other thing is um, last week I asked for people to raise their hand if they were uh, sponsoring a compassion child and I was amazed because I had been to Ecuador with Compassion's president last week and I was amazed how many people raised their hand and it started a thought for me. We used to have a a bulletin board out there with some of the kids that we sponsored and uh, it went away for lots of different reasons. I want to do it again. And this time, I, not just the 800 kids that we sponsor as a church in uh, Africa, but I would love to get a copy of your kids. A, a lot of you are sponsoring. It doesn't, I don't care who you're sponsoring them through, okay? I, I, you know, whatever it is, Compassion, World Vision, whoever it is, if you're sponsoring a child... You know, you've got a picture of a child, and it's somebody's name in some other country, and you're sponsoring, or even a local kid through uh, My Joyful Heart or whatever. We would love to have a copy of the picture so that we can post them out here, because I really want us to be able to walk down that hall as we're dropping our millions of kids off at children's ministry, and as people are walking down that hall to be able to go, hey, you know what? I'm also going to pray for that kid right there today, and I'm going to and, and I'm going to take that kid with me in my heart, and I'm going to pray for him, and. and the value of children and how important that is is going to be uh, it's going to be upped for us okay so welcome to park view we are really glad to have you here i'm doing it. you're going to help you lose your religion today how many of you want to lose your religion today all right let's hear it for losing my religion um uh, yes we're going to do the song uh the last weekend and and yes i'm going to use that youtube video that everybody's been sending me i promise don't send it to me anymore okay if you don't know what i'm talking about you will and don't send it to me i got it okay um uh, and I'm going to use that we're going to do all those things What i'm trying to help you to understand is that being religious is not going to do you any good Um, he's not going to get you into heaven following a bunch of rules. is not going to get you into heaven uh, Having a bible is not going to get you into heaven. It's about getting the bible in you It's about a relationship with jesus However, it's not bad to have a bible every once in a while if you need a weapon. Okay Um, my dad sent me this. This is an audio file of a uh, of a guy who's leaving a message, he's in Texas or something, because you can tell from the way he's talking. He's leaving a message for somebody else, and he witnesses an accident in front of him. And, well, I'll just let it unfold for you. You'll get the idea.
1: Hey, Mark, excuse me, I'm on my way to 3768. Kind of got hung up, it's raining out here. I'm on my way into Dallas. Uh, thought, whoa, whoa. Man, I just had a wreck right in front of me. This guy ran a red light and hit, uh, hit four old ladies in a... In an Impala, just kind of clipped him and turned him around right in front of me, man. That was close. Oh, now this guy's getting out of his car. He's got a he's Got a white shirt on with a tie and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's throwing his hands up in the air like he, like like it was their fault. Oh, uh, hold on, hold on. He's going over their window. Oh man, she, I think she sprayed him with pepper, pepper spray, man. He's on his he's on his face and he's on his She's getting out. She's beating him with an umbrella. <laughs> the other women are getting out, too. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there's one woman with a little black purse. She's kind of hawking him, man. She, look, she looks like a Sunbelt 20-horsepower 20, 20 jackhammer. <laughs> we got another woman that's... that's <laughs> She's sitting them like... Like He's got a cattle prod, man. She's got a, she's got an umbrella. She's sticking it in his side. <laughs> oh, there's another one. That, it's a little woman it looks like Mother Goose. <laughs> she's got... Oh, she beamed him. She beamed him. She's got this huge big bag. It's huge. It's about the size of her. She's about four foot nothing.
0: She hit him over
1: the head. Everything went over the place. Her Bible fell. She just hit him in the head with a She picked this Bible up,
0: and she lifted it way over her head.
1: It was, it was a hardback in NBI version. She, she picked this Bible up and raised it up above her head and just beamed the guy. This guy's not getting up. <laughs>
0: I don't know, you know it wasn't made up because he said it was the NVI version. So, you, I mean, I don't know how many of you um, would say this, but I bet if I asked how many of you have met that woman before, you could say yes. Am I right? If not figure, if not literally, figuratively, symbolically, I would say that most of, if I said how many of you have been beamed over the head with the Bible, most of you would say, yeah, I have. Uh, And that's what I want to talk about. Andy Stanley says it well. He says, for a long time in my life, I looked at Christianity like it was a big Jesus says game. You know, like Simon says, except Jesus says. And it went something like this. Jesus says, stand up. Jesus says, sit down. Jesus says, read your Bible. Jesus says, pray. Sit down. Oh, Jesus didn't say it. You're out of the game. What I learned as a kid, he said, was that the Jesus says game is very difficult to play. And once you're out, you feel very guilty. That's starting to sound familiar he said the problem for me was that I got out a lot when I was young and I learned to sort of like getting out because when I was out I didn't have to play anymore and it was a very very difficult game because who could do everything that Jesus says anyway and I would get out and I would think well I'm out anyway I blew it I sinned I messed up so I might as well spend a few weeks sinning and staying out for a while because it doesn't really matter can you relate to Andy so far there are other problems with the Jesus says game Um, And that approach to christianity one is that there are some people that are good at it Haven't you met some people that are really good at the jesus says game and it seems like they can stay in the game forever And jesus could give them all kinds of stuff and they would do it Or at least it seemed like jesus would give them stuff to do I mean, I never could figure out why we couldn't play our records backwards and stuff like this But they said that jesus said that we shouldn't do that and jesus said it And so that's what had to happen and man I could not figure out why I couldn't play the game like I ought to Do you know that my Bible college, the Bible college I went to, um, didn't allow facial hair? So do you know what my first speech was in freshman speech class? Jesus had a beard. (laughs) Come on. You know I did. I'm not making that up. Don't tell me stupid rules. Do you know that it's been 28 years since I've graduated from that Bible college, and I've never had a clean-shaven face in the last 28 years? I had the Tom Selleck mustache. I've had something on here the whole time. Do you know why you can't tell Richie Del Prior away from Debbie Del Prior from the back? You didn't look at Richie back there. He's got the long hair. Do you know why? Because he went to a Bible college and you couldn't have long hair. Richie and I are sticking it to the man, aren't we? Don't tell me dumb rules because we're going to stick it to the man. That's what we're going to do, okay? And so I would hear this convicting sermon. I'd be out of the game for a while. I'd be like, I'm going to break the rules on purpose. And I'd be out of the game for a while. And then somebody would preach some convicting sermon. Sometimes it was my dad. And they would be like, you know, well, raise your hand if you're bad. And I'd be like, okay, I've got to raise my hand. I'm out of the game. I need to get back in the game again. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that I would sometimes meet people who weren't playing the game. And I'm just being real transparent here. I would envy them. Not just because sinning sometimes looks like fun and what they were doing was something that I would want to do, but more so because they didn't have to deal with the guilt. They didn't have to deal with waking up every morning trying to figure out whether they were in or they were out. They were just out and they were going to enjoy it. But then somebody would come along and say, Hey, Harlow, you need to go preach to those people that are not playing the Jesus Says game and tell them they need to get in the Jesus Says game. And that would kind of make sense to me, because I love Jesus, and I know Jesus was awesome, but I wasn't sure I could tell them about the game, because I knew that I couldn't even play the Jesus Says game, and I wasn't very good at it, and I kept getting out, and I was glad when I got out. So what was I going to do? How was I going to help these other people? A lot of you may be here, because at some point along the way, you dropped out of the game. You dropped out of the game some of you dropped out of the game a long time ago and you're just showing up a park. to you and you're like hold on a second are you guys even playing the game this doesn't make didn't jesus say that you had to sing old songs with an organ hold on a minute didn't jesus say we were supposed to wear our suits well are you guys even playing this game and you're confused right now and that's okay because that's the reason for this series the answer to your question is no we are not playing this game and we don't think you should be playing this game Because we don't believe Jesus played the dumb game. And he never asked us to either. As a matter of fact, the reason that Jesus came to the earth was because religion had gotten so jacked up. It had gotten so messed up. It was this endless, mindless game of God says. And everybody felt like they were out of the game except for this horribly obnoxious group of people called the Pharisees that thought they were in the game. And they were so good at the game that they added rules to the game so that they could keep even more rules so that they could feel good about themselves. And Jesus comes along and says, Hey, guys, it's not supposed to be about a game. Did you ever figure this out? It's supposed to be about a relationship with me. Matter of fact, Jesus showed up and he didn't have rules and he didn't play by the rules and that really frustrated them he said I have come to fulfill the law nothing wrong with the law but I have come to fulfill it Paul said Jesus crucified him and Jesus came along and said and by the way you people you've taken this list these rules this God says game and you've turned it into something else and here's the deal the next sermon series I'm going to do after this after these weeks on losing your religion is butts to the Bible We're going to do butts of the Bible. I'm going to do five weeks on uh, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Because what Jesus did, essentially, was he came along and he said, hey, you think it's about the rules, but I say to you, it's about the heart. Every time, that's what happened. It's about the heart. And that really frustrated the, the Pharisees. And Jesus said, you guys think you're good, but you're really not good. You don't understand it. So I ask you, what do you think God thinks about this game anyway? I mean, if you're a parent, how would you feel? If your children thought that their relationship with you was based on staying in the game, doing the things Jesus said, not doing the things Jesus didn't say, doing the things you said. Let me ask you about a marriage, okay? How about if your marriage was about you keep this list and I'll keep this list and everybody will be happy? I don't mean just a honey-do list. I mean you've got a list of these are the things that you've got to do or I'm not going to be happy. We've got to have the honey-do list has got to be done. The dishwasher needs to be emptied by this time. We've got to do the boom, boom, boom at least three times a week. Your mother can only come this much at the amount of time of the year. All these things is what you got on your list. Is that, is that a relationship or is that a pretty bad deal? And some of you are like, yeah, well, I know exactly what you're talking about because that's what my marriage has de- devolved into into this thing that is just you keep your rules and i keep my rules. Listen, I don't want my wife committed to marriage. I want my wife committed to me. God does not want you committed to religion. He wants you committed to Him. Don't get me wrong. I'm still going to do all of those things for my wife that she would like for me to do to the best of my ability and probably more of the things that she would want me to do because I love her. It's not about not being the person that I'm supposed to be. It's about my motivation for being that person. It's about a relationship, not about marriage. It's about a relationship, not about religion. So for the next few weeks, we're going to all be dumping religion. We're all going to be dumping it. And we're going to try to get you into a relationship. Maybe it's back into a relationship. Maybe for you this is the first time into a relationship. But that's what we're going to do. Um, We uh, we share testimonies back in the green room with the, with the worship people, and Heather Follett shared a story with her growing up, kind of a sad religion story a couple of weeks ago, and I said, hey, when I do this series, will you do this for us? So she's come, and uh, would you welcome Heather out here? She's going to tell us a little bit about her history with the religion.
2: Funny that I was asked to do this sermon, or no, really seriously, this sermon. No, sorry, I will not be preaching. It's funny that I was asked to do this because this sermon last week, it really stirred my husband and I. After Tim had thrown the second chair into the baptismal, I figured it was probably time I don't sit there anymore. And I guess God agreed because here I am giving my testimony. My name is Heather Follett. I'm part of the worship team here at Parkview. Each week in the green room, before we begin leading for the weekend, someone is asked to give their testimony or their God moment in their life. And this past November, it was my turn. And this is what I shared. For a number of years, I struggled with cutting or self-mutilation or whatever you want to call it. This was, I'm going to go with, the lowest point of my life. It was at this point that I began to see who knew Jesus' love and who thought they did. I wasn't looking for anyone to fix me. I was just looking for someone to love me where I was at. Growing up with religion and law, I already struggled with guilt and judgment and what I call the good-bad scale, so I really didn't need anyone else to help me in this area. My family was scared and couldn't understand what was going on, but they were still loving me through it. It was those who claimed they knew Jesus that ran away. Or they judged me first, and then they ran away. Especially when I got to the lowest point of all. One day I decided I was done. I couldn't fight anymore. So I overdosed on all those pills that were supposed to fix me. It wasn't until I swallowed the last pill and walked over to the couch where I said out loud, I don't want to die. I just need help. I heard God vividly say, you're not going to die. I remember thinking, well, almost passing out, you do talk to people. Obviously, what he said was true, because here I am married to a wonderful man, and I have some super cute four kiddos. I thought it was uphill from here. I thought I had already gone through the toughest part. But little did I know that there was more to come. Cutting and trying to commit suicide wasn't the hardest part of this whole thing. It was the unloving words from the so-called Jesus-loving people. I was told that if I had died, I would have gone to hell for committing suicide without even regarding my heart in the relationship that I had with Christ. Then later, those in authority in different churches questioned me taking on a leadership position because of my past. They didn't see where I was then and the healing that had taken place in my life with Christ. I was questioned and I was judged on every level by those who claimed they knew Christ. I kept asking myself, how does this happen? Don't we all believe in the same God? You can't tell me that they don't have their own issues. Just because you can see my scars doesn't mean everyone else doesn't have any. They're just hidden. It became clear to me that those people believed in a religious God, but not me. I believe in a loving God who wants a relationship with me, scars and all. My friends, God loves you, and he loves me. We have engraved in our heads of what's right and what's wrong, the good-bad scale. But he doesn't see that. He just wants to be with us. And it's that love that we are supposed to share with others. If he loves everyone, no matter what they have done, and we believe that, then we need to live it.
0: Um, somebody in this room is a cutter and needed to hear that. You know what? They're going to get more more help in their issue with cutting by hearing Heather say Jesus helped me with cutting than they ever would by me getting up and saying you need to stop. Am I right? because I know it's happened in other services along the way. It's going to do you more good to hear from somebody who is standing up here, because sometimes I think you look up here and you think everybody's got their stuff together, to look up here and go, hey, that, that girl tried to commit suicide. Maybe what's going on in my life is, is, is something that Jesus can help me with too. We've got, uh, I'd love to hear your stories. You could send your stories in the testimonies, testimony at ParkviewChurch.com, I'd love to hear your stories or just email them to us or whatever. We want to hear more stories. We want to share those stories because I believe that's the thing that's going to help more than anything else. Okay, so what's my story for today? My story for today is a guy named Matthew. You may have heard of him. He's in Matthew chapter 9. I'd love for you to turn over there if you've got your Bibles. It's a story. It's a story about food. Have you ever noticed how much of, of our existence deals around food? You know, how, how much of life, exists around food. What would Thanksgiving be without turkey? What would Easter be without ham? What would 4th of July be without cookouts? What would Christmas be without my wife's stuffed shells on Christmas Eve or Cindy Swanberg's caramel corn or uh, my mom's strawberry pretzel salad, which is really pie, but we call it salad so we can have it with dinner and then have dessert later. You know what I mean? It's like sugar pretzels and cream cheese and st- How is that a salad? Um, but what would Christmas be without those traditions? And what would January be without grapefruit and cottage cheese and raw vegetables, right? We all love food because food is awesome, but it's not just about food. It's about meals. It's about sharing together the, the, the experience of the food. And that's what Jesus is going to show us today, getting together with the sinners and having a meal. I was, uh, when I went to Bolivia A couple of months ago to see my daughter when she was there, Uh, I had to get a two o'clock flight on Sunday and the only, that was the only way I could get out. So I had to leave this, if you were here, I had to leave this service a little early. This is going to amuse you when you hear my story. I left this service a little early and played the video because I uh, felt like I needed, you know, I I was cutting it as close as I possibly could. But the other thing I did was I asked one of my law enforcement friends to drive me to O'Hare in his car. I got to O'Hare so fast, I had time to sit down and have dinner. I've never gotten to O'Hare quite that fast before. It was pretty awesome. And uh, and so I got there and I thought I'm going to have to get one of those cold hard sandwiches that have been there since the Reagan administration, you know, sitting on the shelf. But instead, I got to have lunch at the macaroni grill. It was awesome. And I sat there and I had lunch and it was just me and my back, you know, having lunch with my backpack. And uh, across from me was a woman who was having lunch with her backpack, And, and just about everybody in there was just a person that was getting ready to fly that had a little extra time, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. The food was incredible, but it was not a meal. We understand that, right? Meals are important. Meals in Jesus' time were really important. It was everything. They didn't have events to go to, so they had meals together, and they had these little couches that they reclined on while they ate because it was so relaxed and it was an event and so you had a meal with people that you loved, people that you wanted to have a meal with, or you had a meal with somebody that was maybe a little bit better than you that you wanted to get to know. But not Jesus. Jesus was always having meals with the sinners. Matthew chapter 9 is the story of Jesus having a meal with a corrupt IRS agent, basically, a tax collector. Okay? And he went to his house for a dinner party. He had a dinner party with hookers and crooks and sinners. Which is pretty crazy if you think about it. And actually, according to the God says game at the time, Jesus was demoted points for even being around these people. Tax collectors were not liked for several reasons. One is because they were crooks and they would swindle people because they could charge whatever they wanted to and they always charged more and made money off of it. And number two was because they were in bed with the Roman government. Okay? And the Jews hated Rome, and they didn't want anything to do with Rome, and any Jew that had sold out to the Roman government was automatically condemned. They were done. Matthew was likely a Jew who had given in to the Roman government and was working for the Roman governor, and he was basically a traitor. And any good Jew would have cut off any ties with Matthew at this point in his life. People hated these guys. Think about this. Those of you that know the Bible pretty well, do you realize that whenever it would talk about Jesus hanging out with the sinners, it would always used two categories of sinners. Think about it. Who was it? The sinners and the tax collectors. Why? Because the tax collectors were like lower than the sinners. Do you understand that? I mean, they were lower than the prostitutes. They were lower than anybody else. Did, Matthew is exactly... I know you're like, well, the disciples, whatever. Matthew was the guy, exactly the guy, that would have said, if you invited him to church, if I go to church, the... Roof will cave in. Yeah, you've heard it too. That's exactly who he was. I know you don't understand that. So, so here comes Jesus. He comes up to this border or this bridge or something, and Matthew is there in his little tax collector booth. Okay, Picture Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Answer me these questions three, right? He said, there's, there's Matthew. You can't get across the border or across the bridge or whatever until you pay the taxes. There couldn't be a person that was more out of the game than this guy. Are you understanding that? And then that we that's where we get to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And Jesus went out from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he went up and said, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Put yourself in Jesus' position for just a minute. Actually, put yourself in the disciples' position for a minute. Are there two words that you would have thought Jesus might have said to the tax collector it might have made a little bit more sense to you. If you're a Jew and you hate the tax collectors and you know that they're lower than the sinners, the two words that you think Jesus is going to say to Matthew are repent, sinner. Or clean up. Or forget you. I might have wrote a song. Right? The last two words that you think Jesus is ever going to say to a tax collector is follow me. And then it dawned on them, wait a minute, me is us. <laughs> if Matthew follows him, then he's going to be hanging out with us. I'm not sure I like this very much. And Jesus, do you know who this guy is? Where's the change order? Where's the list of things that he's supposed to do? Who's going to give him the disciple rules? Who's going to say, no, don't drink, smoke or chew or go with girls to do? Somebody has got to tell him that. He needs to know what the rules are. Where are the rules to the Jesus says game? Jesus Somebody needs to tell Matthew this. Here's why I love this invitation. The reason I love this invitation is because it is the same invitation that Jesus offered to me and the same invitation that he's offering to you and the same invitation that he's offering to them, whoever they are. And it's not an invitation to play the Jesus says game. It's an invitation to a relationship. Just follow me. Most of us would say, hey, aren't you supposed to say, hey... Matthew, you need to quit this, and you need to start that, and then follow me. Jesus, you've got it all backwards. There needs to be some outward evidence of the transformation that's happened in his life if he is to follow you. And here's why I say this. Certainly not that I want to leave you at the tax booth. It's certainly not that I don't believe that sin is going to mess up your life and that you need to come away from it. That is dumb. That is the wide path that leads to destruction. You want to get away from that. Trust me, you do. But when Jesus invites you to this relationship, there are no entrance requirements. You don't have to get a score of a 25 or higher on your ACT to get into a relationship with Jesus. And I think that's interesting that ACT spells act. I don't know why, but I find that interesting. Because people will tell me, you know what, Tim, I'm going to get baptized when I get my act together. I'm going to come to church when I get my act together. Really, Matthew didn't. Matthew didn't get his ACT together at all. Matthew started following, and did he get better, or was he more righteous? You know what? Matthew ended up dying for the cause of Jesus. He was one of the disciples. He was one of the apostles. He was one of the pre- people that first started following Jesus and led the early church. He became a great Christian example, but he didn't do it first and then come to Jesus. He did it by coming to Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to live inside of him, and then his ACT score went up. The question you're supposed to ask yourself every morning is not, what's my score in the game? It's not, is my score in the game better than your score in the game? The question I'm supposed to ask myself every morning is simply this. Am I following Jesus? Wake up every morning, and that's what you ask. Next verse. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, that's all we get. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it went. Matthew says, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you. What's next? And Jesus says, I'm hungry. And Matthew says, Well, cool, come over to my house and eat. I'm rich. I got steaks and stuff because I've ripped people off all these years. Come on over and eat my food. We'll have a party. And Jesus says, Cool, that'd be awesome. And Matthew says, Hey, could I invite my friends? My sinners and tax collector friends, my people, other people that are out of the game that think that this is a game, can I invite them over so that they could meet you and maybe you could show them that it's not a game. It's really just a relationship and maybe they'll follow you too. And can we have the disciples come and intermingle with these guys? Because I think this would be a really neat dinner party. I had Jesus over to my house once for dinner. Did you know that? Here's a picture of Jesus on my couch with my dog. That's Jim Caviezel. He played Jesus, okay? I'm just saying. Picture Jesus with my family. Pretty cool. I was hoping that everybody would be like, all my neighbors would be like, oh, look, Jesus is at the Harlow's house. It doesn't matter anymore because he's a cop on TV, so it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. I ask myself, if Jesus came today, would he want to have lunch at my house, or would he rather be at a Matthew party? And I would have to say that for what I know of who Jesus is He would rather be at a Matthew party. As a matter of fact, he was at Matthew parties so much that at one point, he's like, in Luke chapter 7, he says, you guys can't figure me out, can you? The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, he goes to parties, and you say, look, a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Two of those was right. He was a friend of tax collectors, and he was a friend of sinners. And he did eat, and he did drink, and he went to these parties, because why? Well, number one, he wanted the sinners to know that he loved them. And number two, who wants to eat with gamers? Who wants to eat with those people? I mean, there were times when he did in the, in the Bible. There were times that he went over to the Pharisee's house and had lunch. One time he went over to the Pharisee's house and had lunch on the Sabbath. And a guy came and needed healing. And Jesus said, here, I'm going to heal you. And he healed the guy. And the Pharisees got mad. Why? Because he broke a rule. Because he broke a rule in the God says game. Jesus said, "Uh, I healed the guy. Hello. Isn't that a good thing? And there's a no, no, it's not a good thing. You broke the rule. And another time he healed a guy on the Sabbath. And it says that the, the religious leaders went out and plotted how they could kill Jesus. Do you see the irony in that? It's okay to plot murder on the Sabbath, but it's not okay to heal a guy. This is what happened. Welcome to the church, my friends. Am I right? This is what happens. This is how it works. Okay? Jesus preferred the Matthew party, and frankly, so do I. Can you imagine the conversations that were going on? Can you imagine what's happening in the conversations at the Matthew party? Can you imagine the improper language that was being used at the Matthew party? Let's just think about what this was like. I want you to put this in modern day things, okay? This is a tax collector so far out of the game, couldn't be any farther out of the game. And he's having a party at his house with his, his, house with his friends. And they're talking about life. And they're talking to Jesus and they're using words they're not supposed to use. And imagine what Matthew's doing. He's running back and forth, making sure the hors d'oeuvres are filled and stocking a beer cooler, because you know they had beer at this party, because it was a Matthew party. And, and, and they're going back and forth, and there's there's non Christian music on the stereo. Because Matthew hadn't even heard of Mercy Me yet. He he didn't know where the Christian music stations were. I mean, imagine this. And Maddie had a kicking stereo, you know. I mean, think this through. Girl, look at my body. Girl, look at my body. It's all going on in the background, right? I'm trying to help you to understand this, okay? This is the scenario that Jesus would have walked into. I'm not messing with you. I want you to understand the, the situation. This is exactly how it would have been. And look what it says in Matthew 9, verse 10. Many, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. That is the Bible's way of saying Jesus was at a naughty people party. Verse 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, they said, why is Jesus at the naughty people party? That's exactly what they said. I'm not, I, I, I want you to understand this because it's really, really important. Jesus, how could you publicly associate with these people who have not had any change in their life yet? You are, there's this music going on. There's this language. They're serving these drinks. This doesn't make any sense. Jesus, you shouldn't be here. And Jesus over and over again said, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Ann Robertson said it this way. Jesus' actions show us that God's approach to sin is not to remain separate and condemn it from afar, but to come and dwell with the sinner in love and let that light shine to show the sinner what needs to be cleaned up. Verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I I, I want you to hear that, okay? The life of sin is sickness. I just want to be honest with you. Jesus does not want to leave you in your tax collecting booth. He does not want to leave you in your life of sin because sin is the wide road that's leading to destruction. But if you are sick, He is the doctor. And what He said to the Pharisees was, hey, if you're so good at this game that you think you've got it all figured out, knock yourself out. But I am the get-out-of-jail-free card for those people who realize that they can't do it themselves. Then he throws a shot at them, which I just got to say I think is awesome. Jesus says, but go and learn what this means. You may not understand that, but the Pharisees thought they were the smartest people on the face of the earth. So basically what Jesus is saying is, you are ignorant. Let me tell you something. You need to go figure this out. Okay? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He quotes from an Old Testament prophet that they knew very well. Jesus said, go and figure out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What, what what does that mean? What that means is sacrifice are the rules, and God's not interested in the rules. He's interested in mercy. He's interested in love. He's interested in the relationship. Jesus says, you smart people, you need to go back and figure out what this means. God wants a relationship, not a game. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Not come to call the righteous, I've come to call the sinners. I'm letting you know right up front that my goal is not to have a little box full of these holy little people that live in this little place and and, and get everything right. That's not the point. If that was the point, I'd just take everybody to heaven. That's not the point. The point is I want to have a relationship with you now, and I want you to go out and share that relationship with everybody else so that I can also have a relationship with them. Luke chapter 14, he tells a parable. One of his great parables, Jesus says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, he's telling this to the Jews, come for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, okay, then go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled The blind and the lame. And the cutters, the people who try to commit suicide, the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes and whatever category you want to put yourself in. Go invite those people. So the servant does. He came back and he said, Sir, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. So the master told the servant, and this is one of our theme verses around here, then go out to the roads and the country lanes Go out as far as you have to and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Compel them. Don't go out there and tell them about a game. Just go out there and tell them about me and that I want them to follow me because I want my house to be full because I love these people. Those people that play games and keep the rules healthy, that's great. Let them miss out if they want to. But the sick and the Matthews, they get a spot at the table. And you get a spot at the table and I get a spot at the table. That's the gospel, my friends. So what do we learn from this? Well, what we learn from this is, number one, we all get to be at the table and it's not about us. It's about him. And secondly, if we've eaten with him, then we need to go out and let everybody else have a seat at the table too. I dare say we should be eating with the Matthews. Jesus... Would love to come and have dinner with your small group, but he would really love to come and have dinner with you and your tax collector friends. Craig Groschel said he's a pastor down in Oklahoma, a large church down in Oklahoma City. He said one day he was out in public and he met this guy who was a really well known guy in the community for making money off of wrong things. Everybody knew who this guy was and he was a bad guy. And the guy said, Hey, you're that Life Church guy. He said, I, I've never been to your church, but if I, if I could, could, could we just have lunch sometime? I've, I've got some questions. And Craig thought, man, this is awesome. This guy would be awesome if he could find Jesus. Yeah, let's have lunch. So they met at a restaurant, and he said this guy was, you know, he went in, and this guy was already there. He was already at the bar. He'd already been drinking. It was noon. He'd already been drinking. He was smoking. He was at the bar. And Craig said, as I walked up to the bar to sit down, I could just feel the churchy-like looks coming down on me. I could feel the heat. I could feel the judgment, the condemnation. I could feel people whispering, oh, there's Pastor Craig. Oh, he's having, look who he's having lunch with. Oh, is that Pastor Craig's beer? And, and he said, I could just hear all those things going on. And sure enough, several people called the church to complain about it. And he, he said, I thought to myself, what did they say? Dad gummit, there goes Pastor Craig acting like Jesus again. It's a hard concept to get a hold of, isn't it? like what my friend Judd Wilhite says. He's the pastor of a really large church in Vegas. No, no kidding. They run like 17,000, 18,000 a weekend in Vegas. And he's got some stories. He says, ministry is messy because sin is messy. So get over it, get a mop, and start helping to clean it up. Charles, uh, Andy Stanley says, let me pick on a group of you again. Let me, let me read you from him again. All of you who've been Christians for a while, he said, here's what happens. Over time, you can learn so much Bible and you can get so churchified and so religious... That it's easy for us to kind of settle into a routine. And we surround ourselves with nice people. They're so nice. He's so nice. Isn't she nice? They're fine folks. They never miss church or Wednesday night prayer meeting. They're just fine folks. But the truth is, he said, it's not about being nice or being fine or having God in a little box or having a routine or having God off your back because you played the game well. It's about waking up every day and saying, this is an adventure. This day is different than every other day. I want to follow you. I'm telling you that following Jesus will flat out mess with your religious routine. Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. And you're going to stretch and you're going to grow and you're going to do new things and you're going to read new things and you're going to meet new people and you're going to have a new relationship. And it's disturbing for those of us who've grown accustomed to the religious routine. He says, do you know what splits churches? It's not non-Christians who split churches. It's not like non-Christians come along and infiltrate, you know, the churches and go, oh, we're going to split up this church. We all know who it splits churches. It's Christians who quit following, that mess up churches. Because suddenly they're challenged to get out of their box, to, to move into something different, to do something different, to serve in a different way. To do All of a sudden we try something different, and those people get mad because we've disturbed their routine. But Jesus says, I didn't call you to be nice. I didn't call you to be fine. I called you to an adventure. I called you to follow me. And when I'm not in follow me mode is when I get judgmental. It's when I get content, when I start thinking I deserve to be here, that's when I have trouble. Folks, I I don't want us ever to be a church full of fine people. I want us to always be a church full of Matthews and tax collectors and sinners who gather around and follow Jesus every day on this adventure that he's called us to. Let me tell you what the meal ought to look like. This picture from our Lockport Christmas Eve service. I just wanted to see that because I know a lot of you don't even know. I mean, that's the the beauty of another campus. Here's a picture of the Orland campus at one of our services with the light shining. Why did I show you that? Well, Brian just sent me that picture, and I thought it was awesome, but it reminded me of what I say. What do I say on Christmas Eve? I say, this is the light of Jesus. I'm passing it to you. I want you to go out and pass it to everybody else. And I sure hope you don't ever interpret that as, please go out and pass it to the people that deserve to be here. What I really want you to do is go out and pass the flame to the Matthews. And don't tell them to play the Jesus says game. Tell them that Jesus just simply wants them to follow him. At the end of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners when they came back into the Union. And the questioner expected him to take some kind of a vengeful stance because the war was horrible. And killed so much of our nation, and it was such an awful time. And Lincoln said, I will treat them exactly as if they had never been gone. Because he had the heart of God, and that's exactly what God did. When the prodigal came home, he treated him exactly as if he had never been gone. In Parkview, we've got to be a place that treats Matthew, and the tax collectors, the cutters, the sinners... So whatever it is we all were with open hands and loves them as if they'd never been gone because that is who Jesus is.